Hello there. Welcome to the Africa Rights Talk Podcast, a center for human rights podcast series exploring a range of human rights issues through conversations with academics, practitioners, and activists. I am your host, Victoria Amici. Let's dive in. We are joined today by a member of the National Assembly from the Kingdom of Lesotho, the Mountain Kingdom of Lesotho. We are really grateful for this opportunity. So this is part of the Center for Human Rights Tech for Rise campaign, which has been running since 2021. Part of this campaign, we had a digital rights project in Southern Africa, and specifically, uh, we had an opportunity to engage with parliamentarians in the Kingdom of Lesotho. So today we just want to have this conversation which looks at uh, where Lesotho is as far as digital rights are concerned, what are the milestones, what are the challenges and many other issues that intersect with you know technology and, and society. So uh, Honorable, thank you very much for joining us today. Please do kindly introduce yourself. Thank you very much. Thank you. My name is Honorable Machisetsa Mufomobe a member of the Lesotho's lower house of parliament, which is called the National Assembly, serving now my second term as a member of legislature, and I hope it's my last term. So I've been a member of the last legislature, which, which was called the 10th parliament. It, 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 it took its five years from 2017 to 2022 when we went for the general elections. And now I was elected again into into the, the legislature through the proportional representation uh, uh, system and I'm representing the Basotho National Party in the in the legislature and I'm also a member of the Prime Minister's Ministry's Portfolio Committee. Thank you. Thank you so much for at least now we know whom we are speaking to. So our conversation yeah. in digital rights, maybe as a starting point, I just want to get a sense of your understanding on digital rights. Thank you so much, Shengue. When one was growing up, there used to be what we call human rights. And this is the only rights that we at that time knew about. Until in recent years when uh, the computers were introduced in our daily life and, and then came up the internet, which is commonly known as the cyberspace. And eventually we came to know about oh, rights that can be enjoyed on the cyberspace and these are called digital rights. It's rights that are enjoyed by the users of the internet and the digital space. That's my understanding of what digital rights are. And this these rights will also somehow go intertwined with the human rights because there are rights to freedom of expression that are enshrined in the constitution. And also on the, the cyberspace, there are, there are also those freedom of expression rights and freedom to, to share information and receive information and information from protection of, of bullying by others. So that's, that's my understanding, my simple understanding of digital rights. 
Okay, so the rights that we enjoy are in the cyberspace. So we were undertaking this work, we were relying on the principle that the same rights that people enjoy offline, those rights, they should also be equally enjoyed online. So looking at Definitely. these rights in Lesotho, where, where is Lesotho currently now? How is Lesotho faring as far as digital rights are concerned? As I had uh, earlier explained that uh, the only rights then that we knew about were the, the human rights enshrined in the constitution. These issues of technology and internet are fairly new in our country. But uh, so far, when it comes to internet, the digital space, I think as a country, we are doing pretty well. I remember when I was at high school, when we were introduced to computers, uh, we were doing what we called uh, basic programming. Mm. It, it was very scarce in those days for people in a small country like Lesotho to be uh, doing a subject called computers. You know, it, it was it was an excitement across the across the country that oh, that school they have what we call computers. But uh, you remember in those days we used to use floppy disks. But as time went on evolution, you'll understand that uh, access was given to almost every child in urban areas. It would not be one school now, it will translate to many schools. And in other schools, uh, they were then introduced to subjects like computer engineering and software. Then, then as a country, we began to progress and understand the importance of computers. And I think we are fairly doing well as a country. For example, in those days, you would find that in the whole town of Marseille, you'll find one internet shop. I remember I used to own one. But now there are like 100 or 200 uh, internet shops. It then gives access to everyone within the perimeters of plus minus 50 meters, you find another internet shop. So we are fairly doing well. One other thing that I would support my argument that Lesotho is doing pretty well, we used to do manual passports. You would go to the passport office and stand in the queue. They will take a photo of you, stick with glue on the passport. That has since gone away. You just go to the passport office, you pay you sit there, the computer will generate your picture and it will be sent to a remote area in Mahalizuk where the passports are made electronically and your passport will, will be done electronically using the internet and, and the computer. So we are doing we are doing we are doing pretty well in that in that aspect. But when it comes to legislative framework, we, we are lacking behind. At the moment, the only the only uh, legislation that we had was the Data Protection Act of 2013, and the Data Protection Act of 2013 does not really address the cyberspace. It only addresses the issue of uh, uh, data protection, not actually the digitalized data. It's limited in that aspect because if you look at the legislation, it dates back about ten years ago. But uh, I, I think as I was part of the executive in the last government, we then came to a decision to bring in the Cyber and Security Bill, which I think is one piece of legislation that will come and address a lot of issues surrounding the digital space and all that encompasses it. Mm-hmm. Thank yes. you so much. I'm really encouraged by, you know, the way Lesotho is, is embracing the technologies, like from the time where you have one internet shop, now there are over 200 and, you know, yes. we have four, and then you are also embracing that into also the governance system um, as well.
we also have um, underserved communities like our, our rural communities and as far as the digital age is concerned they will face um, the unique challenges I just want to get a sense of what are those challenges that underserved communities like rural areas face in Lesotho as far as the digital age is concerned Thank you very much thank you I come from the rural areas my home state is very rural take it from me, the challenges are, are, are immense. Uh, for an example, about two, three, two years ago, when I traveled from the urban areas to my home state, I would be off communication for the entire duration of my stay in the home, in the home state. Uh, unless I listened to the radio, I would not know what was happening out, outside the area where, where I was. Uh, and um, I had to, uh, to work hard as part of the executive to make sure that my area get a BTS tower transfer, the tower that tra transmits a cellular phone um, frequency. And ever since that, there's a little bit of a change. You'll understand that for my child who lives in the urban areas, for her to do a research for her studies, it's easy for her because I have internet in the house. If I don't have uh, internet in the house, she can buy data for herself and then Google whatever she wants to Google to do her subject and uh, properly be informed. But for a child of the same age who lives in the rural area, she only has to listen in class or read the books, but to further enhance her understanding through Google and other search engines, it's impossible and not possible at all. But believe me, since, ever since the, we introduced that tower, now every child in the village now, in my village, that's about 400 uh, kilometers away from, from Maseru. Uh, it's very far. Now they have access to internet. They can also Google and search what other kids in town can do. Here's another disadvantage of staying uh, in the rural areas without access to internet and communication. Uh, there's this now introduced what we call mobile money, where I can send money from urban areas to, to the rural areas. And you, you'll understand that if there is no form of communications through the communication towers, then there's no, the, the, the mobile money is not applicable in, in that, in, in that uh, respect. But since introducing of towers across the country, it has now become very simple. Uh, let me also uh, emphasize this. As of last month, old age pensions mm. were physically delivered to the village. And it was at a cost to government. But as of last month, mobile money is the order of the day. The payments will be done from Maseru across the country to the rural areas. And then the elder will just send their kids to the shop to go and withdraw. And this is because of the digital space that we are enjoying in Lesotho. I will also want to compliment government, the previous governments and the other governments following the previous governments. They introduced what we call Lesotho Communications Authority, which is a, an authority that regulates the internet, it regulates the, the, the radios, it, 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 and it's an independent board. It's not taking any mandate from government. This means that it will do its job well without any interference from government. I was reading just yesterday that uh, uh, we had last, last early, early this year, a blackout from Vodacom Lesotho, which lasted for about five hours. 
And the Sotho Communications Authority slapped Vodacom with a one million fine that you will understand one for four hours without access to any internet. Basut uh, have suffered a lot. So I want to compliment government for having that, having established the Social Communications Authority to oversee independently the rights and protect the rights of the consumers of the internet and the cyberspace. And another thing that I would also want to emphasize is that in the rural areas as we speak now, if you look at the, the map of areas covered by internet in Lesotho through the mobile mobile players like Vodacom and Econet. Almost 80% of Lesotho is now covered uh, by the mobile players. It means that Lesotho now, in the rural areas, most people now have access to, to internet and communication. That's really encouraging. I mean, from my village, I am not in the same footing as, uh, you know, the circumstances in, in your village. If I go to my village, I will still be in a situation where I have to listen to radio. <laughs> I have to mm. listen to radio. I can't, I can't make a call and all that. So we have not advanced to that level. And I really see that I'm particularly impressed by the use of the elderly yeah. and all that. And, and all, all the challenges and all that. I think that that has certainly made life easier for them. And you know what also touched me was the issue of education as well, where children, those that are not connected, you know, now the differences between a child who is digitally connected and one who, who is not. You know, there's now connectivity uh, in 80% of places we might end up having universal uh, and meaningful access to the internet. But whilst we are still talking about this, you know, marginalized communities that in the case of Lesotho, some of them are no longer as, as marginalized because of the improvement. But when you look at persons with disabilities as well and children, what are your remarks as far as those vulnerable groups are concerned in the digital age? They are very much challenged, but uh, with uh, technology, things are taking a different a different shape. I have a brother and a sister who are visually impaired. I know the challenges that they, they encounter because of their disability. I think we are pretty doing well on that side also because there are a number of legislations that have been passed to protect the, the disabilities in all forms of abuse. And unfortunately, when I went through the the piece of legislation, the, the cyber and security bill, the issue of protecting the disabled is not included in the bill. I had just written recently to the Minister of Communications to make her aware that certain sections of that piece of legislation should be at least reviewed as uh, they, they infringe somehow the rights of uh, uh, the, the disabled and the rights of uh, the journalist. I know we'll come to that at a later stage because I, I know there's a, there's a direct question to that I think we should we should push for an amendment to cover the rights of the disabled in all in all, in all form of disability in the digital space. I think that should be included, and I'll take it upon myself to see that that, that amendment is included in the cyber and security bill to protect the rights of the disabled. Um, I don't know if you have any comments around the issue of children. Uh, you know, with, with children of nowadays, it's a, it's a it's a bit difficult to to control them because we as parents have put in their disposal a lot of stuff that's harming them. For an example, uh, they have access, free access to, to internet and, and computers. They can easily create themselves uh, uh, Facebook accounts, Twitter accounts, um, TikTok accounts, where they will end up engaging with strangers. 
and that can result in either human trafficking or being exposed to content like content like porn and i don't know how that can be can be controlled i know in other countries i'm told they can block those kind of sites for the under age but knowing knowing how the internet is vulnerable they can also these kids uh, be able to log in under false pretexts as adults whereas they are they are minors so i think somehow we have to find ways of controlling their access to 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 data and and internet because you see as parents you 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 think that you you love your kid so much that she can have a phone at the age of 7 or 8 and have access to internet 24 hours around the clock unfortunately you are you are destroying that that kid so we must take control to to monitor how they use the the internet and the phones until they are at the age where they are allowed to be independently doing that Hmm. I just want to say that the, the issue of children is, is is a bit complex because when you're looking at issues of of the digital age, you find that the one who is supposed to parent the child might actually not have the requisite information on how to navigate um, the the digital space and guide the child. So yeah. the child might also, even if you block the sites, there are situations where the child is relying on the adult's phone, so they can even access the the sites if they are using the their parents phone and and all that and you might probably still not know that they accessed those sites because they know I think there's a whole movement around children and and technology there are frameworks that are being introduced and um I'm, I'm hoping that also in in Africa we will be able to also um enhance uh, the framework around children's rights and come up with uh, the appropriate framework but also in back on digital literacy programs that are also targeted at not only the child but also those that are their guardians their parents their caregivers so that they are able to exercise the parental role on the child in a digital environment now honorable we can i just chip in there if you allow me i wouldn't agree yes. with you i agree with you more i'll just give you an example in my case <laughs> there was a time i was i was struggling to access my information on the on the laptop you would not believe me that the person who who helped me throughout that was my was my 9 year old daughter then she came and told me no you shouldn't do this this is what you should be doing and her solutions worked for me so i then said how, how does she know these things so uh, these kids are so smart that uh, by themselves they, they just log into the into google they learn so much by themselves uh, another challenge that you 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 perfectly said was that uh, people that are usually parenting our kids it's not ourselves because we are always at work and then we have people uh, we call them helpers here in the city they help us to grow our kids and most of them you'll find that it's people from the village it's people from the village that's come down to help you and these kids are more smarter than them so i think uh, when you you try to raise your child you should also try and give the so called helper an idea of what is the internet how does it work and also mold him or her to understand the dangers of internet and 24 hours access that is not monitored for the child so uh, you wouldn't have said it, said it better than that
Now that you've mentioned the issue of helpers, I remember coming across another, you know, piece that was written somewhere about, uh, you know, the organized crime where also helpers might also be involved in, in organized crime and they might yes, actually yes, yes. children in, in your absence as well. So, yeah. yes, yes. It's kind of a complex issue, but I think we can always start from somewhere. So I want to delve now into your role now as a as a legislator. And now the issue of legislation, I, I heard when you were talking about persons with disabilities, you said when you're looking at it, you are seeing that, you know, there's a gap as far as uh, persons with disabilities are concerned in the, in the cybersecurity bill. But I just want us to look at generally legislating for the digital age, what you think can be the best approach for legislating in the digital age or for the digital age? The first point of entry is to empower the members of parliament, legislators. I'm saying this from experience that uh, in many instances when we have to deal with matters of technology, only a handful of members of parliament will contribute just because they understand Less than 5% will contribute. So I think it's very important to also try and empower members of parliament to understand in depth what, what is the digital space, what is internet, what is technology. It's very important. Once you deal with them, then it will be easy for them to engage the civil, to engage the society at large, because in our case in Lesotho, when a bill is presented in Parliament, it is then referred back to a portfolio committee where the members of public will then interact with the legislators. You'll understand many people are very educated in this country now, in the cyberspace and other and other areas. And now they go to the legislature to the committee to engage people who they have superior logic over them, you understand? So it becomes very difficult. Then it comes to a stage where members of parliament will have an inferiority complex of saying, how come these ones are smarter than us when we are bestowed with the power to to do legislation and pass it? Uh, so it's important for every member of parliament to equip him or herself with a better understanding of the portfolio committee where they are better placed. You understand we are placed in different portfolio committees. It is law and order, it is health, it is uh, public health, uh, defense. So parliament must also, when it chooses members of their portfolio committees, they should also look at their background as to whether they are they're better placed to address member issues of communication technology and otherwise. Choose members who are better equipped to address uh, issues of defense, because their background dictates so. So it's very important that members of parliament are, are equipped to understand. Yes. Then it becomes easy. A piece of legislation will just easily pass because uh, they will understand what they are dealing, what kind of animal they are dealing with. Mm, I, I do agree with you, really, that the issue of technology itself is, is cross-cutting. So even a, a specific portfolio committee on, on ICT uh, will still not be enough because when you go to the one on health as well, now we have issues around the issue of technology. Yeah. Yes. You look yes. at uh, another uh, portfolio committee as well, probably social welfare, there are also other uh, you yes. Know, areas. Yes, yes, yes. 
Yeah, so but I definitely agree with you that we need to build the capacity of the legislators so that they are uh, well informed and well versed with the with the issues, and then they have uh, the requisite knowledge and and information to be able to tackle some of these legislative challenges that are brought by by the digital age. In looking at the the framework itself, like uh, the policy and legislative framework, what are the reforms, if any, if you think there are reforms that Lesotho can adopt to enhance the the promotion of and protection of, of digital rights. Yes, there, there's room for reform. Definitely, there's room for reform. Remember, at the at the moment, Lesotho is engaged in the general reforms of the constitution and other pieces of legislation. So there is there is room for reform. Hence, I said we have now moved from the data protection bill of 2013. We have this mass bill now, the cyber and, and, and security bill. For me, the cyber and security bill. It's a, it's, a reform, it's a reform of the whole system of uh, the, the cyber and IT space. So I think we are, we are now engaged in, in, a, in a serious, in a serious def- reform. It's unfortunate that uh, there were some defects in the bill that had to, to an extent that the bill was, was withdrawn from parliament for further consultations. But that bill itself, yeah, I, I consider it as a reform of the cyber space and, uh, and the digital space. Hmm. It is actually a reform on its own. And the fact that, you know, it's been brought back, it shows that, you know, there is that engagement so that, uh, before it's part of the necessary um, consultation is done. And I suppose as we have spoken about, you know, rural communities, we have spoken about um, other groups as well and other issues, there is room for, for reform in the various um, aspects of life. Yes. But now going back to that bill, the uh, <laughs> Crimes Bill, you know, the, the civil society has made a lot of noise about it and uh, you know so what are your thoughts around the concerns that they have raised around the bill not only the not only the not only the them uh, and and uh, and us too some of the members of of yeah. parliament too I, I for one I, I think some of the clauses in the uh, in the bill are unconstitutional they also infringe on rights especially the digital rights and, uh, and the human rights. Uh, for an example, uh, some seven years ago, uh, the editor of Lesotho Times challenged in the Constitutional Court what was known commonly as a criminal defamation. And he, he won that case in the Constitutional Court and the criminal defamation legislation was struck off by the Constitutional Court. And if you look, if you look in the bill, it reintroduces criminal defamation. So somehow they, they are re, the bill is reintroducing a law that was scrapped by the constitutional court. So, so that's that's another challenge where I, I agree fully with the civil with the civil society. If you look at um, section twenty. 24 of the bill two, the heading is, is data interference. <laughs> Uh, it reads as follows. A person who intentionally and without lawful excuse communicates, discloses, or transmits any program or command to any person not authorized to access the computer data program code or command commits an offense and is liable to a conviction of FATMILO. In many cases, when you are a member of different WhatsApp groups, mm. you can be a, a second recipient of data from a person you do not know. According to this piece of legislation, you are liable for prosecution for receiving that kind of information. If your mobile phone is programmed in such a way that every 
picture is automatically downloaded. It means now you are now in a position of what the law says it's illegal information because you received it as a secondary person. I think this, this is unfair. This is unfair. Uh, there's also what we call <laughs> data espionage. Mm-hmm. I think it also infringes rights. But if you look at all these clauses that I've, I've been talking about, they actually infringe rights of journalists. Because journalists, when they do their work, they have sources. And they cannot in any way disclose their sources. But this piece of legislation forces them to divulge who their sources are. So I think their concerns are legitimate, they're understandable, and I think we will put that to the government for it to reconsider amending those clauses that we talked about or completely removing them from the legislation. Yes, I, I suppose, um, I mean, there has been quite, um, you know, uh, some advocacy that, that has been conducted around this particular area. and I Robustly, think, yes. Yeah, there's more and more justification that indeed it can be passed in the state in which it, it is in. There's no. need there's need for amendment or like you are saying, maybe we can still even remove those problematic uh, problematic provisions because when they are passed, they have a potential to infringe on, on fundamental rights. Like for example, you are mentioning the issue of criminal defamation. It's already been decided by the constitutional yes. unconstitutionality was confirmed. Why do we... Yes back to that yeah. and also the issue of the uh, confidentiality of of sources for a journalist that is a very a cardinal um or very important aspect yes of, yes, of, yes that should be that should be protected so thank you so much for for raising those those issues it brings even more weight when it comes but, but let me tell you something uh, <laughs> i've been a member of the executive i know Okay. I know how government behaves when it comes to um, digital rights, especially Facebook. I know mm-hmm. three previous governments attempted to say, hey, close Facebook. This thing okay. is killing us. I know the government that I was in, somebody raised the same issue. And there was butterflies down my spine. I said, no, this can't be because I'm, I'm a Facebooker. So I, I wouldn't allow I wouldn't allow such such to happen. So uh, I think uh, governments should also understand that this is the order of the day. You can't change it. This, this is this is anyway. <laughs> yeah, even the the intel, even the intelligence nowadays, they, they, their eyes are sticked on the internet. They are sticked on Facebook as to what's going on in the outside world. Things that they they did not even know that they might be challenging to the state of security in government. They pick them up from from Facebook. So it's important for government to also make sure that uh, journalists and people of goodwill who desire to have certain information from government, access to information information must be made available. Because if it's not available, then they will find ways to just kill it and then dispose it on on, on on social media. And then it will put uh, the security of the state at stake. So uh, governments should also adapt and understand that, oh my God, this is, we have to deal with this thing. It's there in our lives. It's not going anywhere. You, you understand? 
Mm-hmm. It's, it's like yeah. you're saying, it's in our lives is not going anywhere. Uh-uh. So we live with it. Uh-uh. Uh, how do we manage it? How does it enhance our lives? So we don't yes. have to make things difficult for us, but we have to find a way of navigating around the space such a manner that it enhances um, society. It's for the benefit of society, not to use it also to marginalize people or to, you know, entrench on, on human rights or violate um yes. We have to find a way of navigating uh, it in such a manner that we also benefit from it. So I want us to end the conversation by going back to to those that have a legislative role to say that we have already acknowledged and we have already uh, mentioned the issue of, of capacity. How else do you think they can be um, assisted in terms of uh, legislating for, for the digital age? Maybe if you can elaborate on that, because they are a very important legislator. They are a very important stakeholder in this digital age. And uh, more and more laws are going to come. They are going to be technical. They are going to be sophisticated. And we have already acknowledged that there is some form of assistance that they require to effectively uh, exercise this mandate. Uh-huh. For me, it's, 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 it's a matter of capacitation. Look, te- technology changes every day. Every every three days when I look at my phone, it, it wants me to update almost 10 or 12 apps every day, every three days, every week. Uh, so so technology moves like, like crazy. It's, it's, it's something I really don't, <laughs> it fascinates me, you know. Um, so, so I think capacitation is very important. Because today you capacitate me on a certain module. Tomorrow the same module is three steps ahead. So it's very important for for MPs to always have capacitation, either from the state, either from an organization like your organization, or either individually, every MP must always capacitate himself and um, be familiar with uh, new developments in, in technology, then then it will make uh, our job easier when bills come into parliament, we'll then know uh, where to, which ones to address. And also consultation. You know, when a bill is to come in parliament, it's given to us almost a week before it comes in. It's important for uh, legislators to have some form of workshops being sponsored directly by their own political parties or being funded externally. But it is very important for them to to be able to, in depth, depth look and understand what a bill entails so that when it comes into the House, they'll be able to to express themselves on the bill. Thank you so much, Honorable. We have had a very interesting conversation. We really appreciate your time. You have managed to take us through, you know, the situation from your understanding as a member of the National Assembly, issues of digital rights in Lesotho. You took us through, I mean, transformations as far as marginalized communities or underserved communities are concerned. You raised issues around children. You have also uh, raised issues around persons with disabilities. And you have made very important points around uh, the computer crimes bill as well that we hope that those issues will be taken up and the bill will be passed in a much better um, state for the benefit of Lesotho but otherwise I just want to uh, thank you so much for your time thank you so much for having uh, been participated in this Tech for Rights conversation under the Center for Human Rights at the University of Pretoria's Human Rights Talk thank you so much Thank you so much for hosting me. I really appreciate it. Thank you. You have just listened to the Africa Rights Talk podcast. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Do not forget to subscribe, 
to our YouTube channels, social media platforms such as Twitter and Instagram. Thank you for listening.